Operating a modern digital business means building and operating large, highly scaled applications that are more and more cloud native in their architecture and implementation. Observability is critical in maintaining the highly scaled, highly available, highly adaptive nature of these modern cloud native applications. You just can't keep a large, complex, modern application operating without having a solid, modern observability platform as part of your system. And ideally, in today's cloud-native market, you want an observability platform that is itself based on cloud-native technologies. Today, I will talk with the founder of such a cloud-native platform. Are you ready? Let's go. This is the Modern Digital Business Podcast, the technical leader's guide to modernizing your applications and digital business. Whether you're a business technology leader or a small business innovator, keeping up with the digital business revolution is a must. Here to help make it easier with actionable insights and recommendations, as well as thoughtful interviews with industry experts, Lee Acheson. Sumo Logic is a leader in cloud-native observability. They not only focus on providing analytics for cloud-native applications, they themselves operate on a cloud-native platform. And while Sumo Logic provides tools for improving application reliability and availability, what really sets them apart in my mind is their focus on security and clients in a cloud-native environment. My guest today is Bruno Kurdick. Bruno is the founding chief strategy officer for Sumo Logic. Bruno, welcome to Modern Digital Business. Thank you. I'm it's a pleasure to be here. Well, so Sumo Logic, it appears, has a, I guess, what I would call a multi-dimensional approach to observability. You do infrastructure monitoring, log monitoring, uh, you know, traditional application performance monitoring, and then you get into security and audit compliance and even software lifecycle optimization. Yep. If you had to point to one thing that is the core key differentiator for Sumo, what would that one thing be? Well, it's a single platform that is all based on our strength in handling highly scaled, um, unstructured log data, right? It's the output of most of this infrastructure and applications. And we've, over the last 12 years, really spent a lot of effort on making sure that we can handle that data at scale, uh, as it bursts, that we can find schema and structure in the unstructured data and really kind of uh, put a lot of analytic rigor on digging up insights inside of this highly scaled, unstructured data that is generally hard to analyze. So it's the platform approach to observability. It is, and it's the logs and the unstructured uh, data that we process through the log management system that we built. Okay, so it's, it's not just the structured analytical data, it's the unstructured log data and the importance of, uh, of relating all that. And I'm, and I'm assuming um, the processing of that includes uh, AI machine learning capabilities that you go into it. Do you want to talk about that a little it, bit? It absolutely does, yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of techniques that, that we've built to make that log data and unstructured data come to life for our customers, right? As because that data is growing at the rate of Moore's law, meaning it's it's growing faster than budgets, it's growing faster than than companies' revenues. So coping with it and finding insights in it is critical. So we've applied a lot of techniques to that. Number one is we do apply machine learning and AI to this data. Uh, our approach to that is very much sort of black box. We we 
built algorithms that are highly focused and specially tuned for specific use cases. They work on behalf of our customers. They discover anomalies, patterns, outliers. They perform predictive analytics and all these things under the hood without our customers having to know anything about machine learning, right? So the engine works on behalf of the customer without the customer having to have data science teams working with it. So that's, that's number one. And number two is that we are building techniques around these analytics. For example, we're able to take fully unstructured data without knowing anything about it, ingest it into the system and apply schema on demand, meaning we don't have to know what the data is. We can extract schema at, at query time and perform all of the required analytics as if we, we as if we knew the schema ahead of time, which is super difficult to do. And it is really important mm. in a in a world where agile teams ship new code and new data into production every hour of the day, and you cannot rely on knowing what the schema is ahead of time. So that's another technique that's very unique and important in this in this in this space. Did I hear you say at query time you actually apply the schema changes? So this Correct. is all all done based on the, the request from a given user looking for a specific pattern or whatever in, in yep. data. They they give you a query, and from that query, you deduce a schema on your unstructured data and then exactly. process through that query. Exactly. That cool. that cool. Automatically discover the schema. And, and we also allow customers to specify, hey, I want to look at these fields. I want to extract them, you know, specifically these, or we can extract it for them if they choose to. What about alerting? Is So this is, that's great for, for uh, analysis by a human asking questions upon the data representing what's the, the application going is going through. But what about alerting and and the non-monitored or the non-human monitored aspect of observability. Sure, sure. Yep. So you know, look, um, alerting is a huge use case for us. Um, we alert on all types of telemetry, you know, traces, um, metrics, and logs. Obviously, right? Logs are the big, big part of what we alert on. So we alert on all kinds of different uh, uh, conditions, right? So we have a general purpose alerting system that can basically do basic aggregations and say, okay, if a specific user fails, log in more than X times within a you know, set period, you alert, right? And we extract that schema as the alert is being evaluated. We also, those would be sort of simple alerts, but then we've got also sort of unknown, unknown type of alerts where we're detecting, okay, we have a whole new pattern we detected. We've never seen this pattern. You probably want to know about this pattern, right? Or something, so much more sophisticated security style threat detection type of alerts that we apply. And for those, we either extract schema on ingest or we extract schema on demand as, as uh, the data is coming in. So now your, your focus is cloud native applications. Is that correct? correct. I mean, it's not, obviously these strategies can work for all types of applications, but correct. you focus on cloud native applications. Tell me what that means to you. In any industry, you win by innovating faster. Agile is a way to innovate faster. And if you're going to build software in a much, at a much faster rate, there are things downstream that facilitate it. For example, when you build software and you change it every hour of every day, you probably want to be able to change your hardware at a similar rate of speed. Well, you can't do that in a data center, right? So in the cloud, 
you essentially, it's not all about cost and, you know, separating yourself from managing infrastructure. It's about evolving your hardware at the rate you're evolving software. And then the architecture that evolved with that is the microservices architecture because it decomponentizes software. It allows you to sort of upgrade and build and push to production much faster. And all of these things are designed to accelerate the, the rate of innovation. When this happens, we are breaking down the number of components. We're getting, you know, order, a couple of orders of magnitude, more components. Components are more ephemeral. You know, you go from servers and virtual machines to containers and serverless functions, uh, microservices, many more sort of code um, uh, containers that, that, that than in the previous three-tier or multi-tier applications, which means that there's far more variability, many, many more components to keep track of. Scale um, is much more sort of um, elastic, right? So being able to monitor these components to be able to adapt yourself to scaling the, of these applications is very different behavior than, than what you see in a data center. And so for that, new techniques had to evolve, had to be built. Our own application had to be different and more scalable and more integrated into the cloud stacks, more aware of these components. And that is why we focused on the cloud native application. And we do believe that, that it requires very, very different tooling and technology for observability. Yeah, I, and I completely agree with you. You're, you're speaking to the choir a little bit here when, uh, when you talk about that. I've, I've spoken a lot about uh, the, what I call the dynamic cloud, which is basically the, the aspect that your application is changing, not only software, but hardware. And hardware yeah. is constantly changing, constantly evolving, and that makes observability more difficult and actually more central it's it's so it's so much more critical you know the you know people who are afraid of agile are afraid of well how 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 can you make a change so fast do you, how do you know how you know what happens to your application this is well the answer is you you watch it you pay attention yeah. to it and you have software that does that and that's a critical aspect about agile and a critical aspect about well, DevOps in general, but that's, that's right. critical to making all this work. And mm -hmm. and what cloud native does is it applies the same concepts to hardware as well as to software, right? Yep. And so your your entire infrastructure is now agile and and uh, and, uh, yep. and constantly evolving. So you mentioned the the AWS word, and uh, and I know that very early on you made a conscious decision as a company that you wanted to be. You wanted to focus on AWS. I think the phrase you used was, uh, your company used was all, you're all in on AWS. So talk about that a little bit. And, you know, nowadays multi-cloud is becoming a bigger deal. Uh, you know, it used to, it wasn't that many years ago when AWS was the cloud and there really wasn't a tier two and tier three of any significance. But now both Azure and and uh, GCP are, are major comp competitors and major players in the cloud market. There's other smaller ones coming up and multi-cloud really is not only a viable option, but in many ways to the preferred option for a lot of companies. So uh, have you adapted your AWS all-in strategy to match that? Or, and if so, what, what does that mean to you and to your strategy? That's a fantastic question. I could go on about this question for, you know, tens of minutes. Um, so look, we, we did, we did pick AWS initially. At the time when we picked AWS, it was because it was the only real viable option, right? As, as I said earlier, um, AWS has been a fabulous partner to us, right? So far, 
you know, they're not only a technology partner, they're also a go-to-market partner with us. And, you know, we, we work quite closely with AWS on sort of helping them help our customers, us helping their customers, and it's a very symbiotic relationship, and we really appreciate that. Um, we, we have also, we're also fully aware that many of our customers are not just on AWS. In fact, many of our customers are not on AWS at all. Um, and we have seen the evolution of what's happening to sort of the adoption of the cloud. We, we, I, use, I use the term multi-cloud customers. And over the last five years or so, maybe six years, my conversations in my capacity as a head of strategy with our customers has been to understand what is their path? How are you evolving your path to the cloud? And then I'll come back and talk about ours. And about five years ago, everybody was telling us, oh, it's going to be multi-cloud. We don't want to be beholden to one customer, one, one vendor. Nobody wanted to repeat the Microsoft of 1990s uh, challenges of just being basically, you know, uh, essentially beholden to only one technology provider. And so, you know, everybody talked to talk. And then something happened about three years ago where we actually started to see the talk translate into action. And I will tell you this, we run this, uh, we run this report annually called the Continuous Intelligence Report that what it does, it looks at all the trends underneath our customers' infrastructure. What are they doing to build their applications? Where are they running their applications? All that stuff. And, and the fastest group, individual group of customers that we have is the fastest growing group is the multi-cloud customers, meaning customers sending us data from more than one cloud to, to, to observe and to secure. And so, that's very interesting to us. It is still a smaller base, but it is the fastest growing. And what have we done to, to do that? And why have we chosen to stick with, with Amazon? So we are adapting our strategies. Number one, we're fully integrated and partners with Azure and GCP and other cloud providers as well. So we integrate and have visibility and provide observability and security for their stacks as well. We still, though, only run on Amazon. Um, and that has just been a convenience for us. No real reason. I fully imagine that at some point, we, our workload itself will span clouds once we have enough of a center of gravity where we don't want to move data around and things like that, or customers have very, very specific requests about where the data has to reside. So far, that hasn't been an issue. Our customers don't really mind. Most of our customers are still on AWS, right? But I totally agree with you. I see where the world is going. There is definitely benefits of having multiple cloud provider infrastructures available. They all have different technologies. Some of them have better technologies in certain areas than others. They have better coverage in certain areas of the world where we operate. And you know, I can envision, envision that happening. We just haven't had to do it quite yet. Are you looking to become an architect? Or perhaps you are looking to learn how to drive your organization towards better utilization of the cloud? I have a whole series of cloud and architecture courses available on LinkedIn Learning. For more information on the courses I have available, please go to leeatchison.com slash courses or click the link in the show notes. You know, certainly uh, the, the data export charges can be one of the things that drives customers there. Exactly. You haven't had any problems with customers complaining or great significant <laughs> strategies. You always have problems with customers. No, no, no it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question because <laughs> I have that conversation probably in 50% of my customer, uh, initial customer meetings, right? Everybody wants to know about that. 
in the end, when you sort of add it all up, it becomes a minor uh, charge because we do heavy compression in real time, you know, and the data trickles from many different places. Ultimately, that becomes a non-issue for our customers, right? At some point, you know, things will add up, including that, and we will end up, you know, I expect though that what will happen is it'll be more about people not wanting to move the data, not for the cost reasons, but because of either internal policy reasons or regulatory reasons or, or contractual obligations or competitive concerns or whatever it is, right? They will want to keep it. And at that point, when that becomes bigger, big enough of a snowball for us, we'll probably pull the trigger. Yeah, I, and I, I agree with that comment too. And I, I think it's rather funny. When, one of the er, early on, one of the first complaints you started hearing about why people couldn't move to the cloud was it's not secure. And yeah. now what you're hearing is we can't move data off the cloud because it's not secure to move it off the cloud. You know, it's, it's, it, all, yep. it all plays together there. Yep. And certainly, you know, the, the compliance aspect is going to be really important from, uh, you know, regulatory yep. aspects, et cetera. Definitely. Which brings me to something that I think is a differentiator for you compared to a lot of other observability companies. And that is your focus on auditing compliance. You know, you, you talk a lot about PCI, about HIPAA, SOX compliance, GDPR, et cetera. You know, basically PII management, right? Yep. Tell me more about what you do in that space and why Sumo is, is an important player in, in the compliance and auditing space. Sure. Um, so look, the, the, I'll start a little bit of the history again. One of the reasons why we ended up where we ended up is because the three founders, um, including me, and the two of us are two of the founders, two of the three are still at, at Sumo, all came prior to Sumo from a security space, security compliance space, SIM space. Um, and when we first started the company, we had a hypothesis, especially for the, when, when, when uh, data moves to the cloud. So we knew we were going to focus on cloud. So that was one, number one thing. Number two, we also knew that our focus is going to be applications, customer-facing mission-critical apps, right? We weren't necessarily looking to just manage infrastructure. We wanted to make sure that we help companies transforming into digital companies, running their mission-critical workloads in the cloud, make those workloads run well and run securely, right? That includes compliance. So when we looked at it that way, we realized that you know, what, what the security world and the compliance world looked like on-premise, where we used to be before Sumo Logic, was that the observability data was coming from the application into the observability tool. Security data was going from the edge into the security tool. There was very little overlap between security and observability data. Once you move that application to the cloud, the perimeter goes away. You're running on infrastructure where your hacker might be running on the same physical machine on a virtual machine right next to you, there is no perimeter. There is no way to really kind of think about yourself as, as walled off. Therefore, security and observability data comes from the same technologies. So we had a hypothesis that the data between observability and security will be heavily, heavily overlapping in the cloud, which meant that economically it didn't make sense to duplicate it and put it into two different tools because it's huge, right? It's gonna cost you too much. And we thought from the very beginning, we need to make a technology that will have one data uh, payload under the hood and multiple different lenses looking at that data for various purposes of a digital enterprise. So that was the sort of premise. And we think 
that we were correct in that. We, we, have, we think that we have proven that that hypothesis is correct at this point in time. And now why compliance, right? When you think about compliance and audit, it's really important when you're running an application, right, which contains, you know, your customer's data, your employee data, when you're processing credit cards, when you're holding health records, when you're running on third-party infrastructure, auditors are going to want to see how are you operating your technology stacks in this environment that you don't control anymore. And so we initially immediately knew that compliance will be a big use case for our customers given what business they are pursuing and what we were trying to help them with. And so we had a two-pronged strategy. One was we nobody will trust us because we were a small little cloud company at the beginning of the cloud. So we had to have a third party certify us in order to for us not to have to convince the customer like I can't convince a GE or somebody like that that I'm I'm secure. I'm going to leave that to the auditors. So we actually made ourselves go through the rigorous process of architecting for compliance and security and actually getting certifications for PCI provider level one, HIPAA, FedRAMP, Modern, all of these things that we now hold. And that gives our customers a level of security about ourselves. Second was we said, okay, they will then need to also prove their own compliance to their own auditors. So we will take these techniques, these techniques of understanding these compliance regulations and build solutions for our customers to actually gather the data, uh, store it in a, in a worm only, write ones, read many um, non-changeable data store, be able to pull reports for auditors, do it, all of that on a regular basis in order to provide our customers with tooling for compliance auditors and for their own regulatory needs. So those are the two, that's a two, two prong strategy for compliance that we need to do. And, you know, so far it's been working pretty well. Do you feel you're a tool that helps companies get compliance, uh, maintain compliance, or are you a tool that helps companies work, uh, figure out what they need to do to become compliant or, or all of the above? Yeah. Where, where so is your focus there? Our focus is to help our customers be compliant, run in a compliant manner, prove compliance and maintain their compliance on an ongoing basis. We have many of our customers who are basically, you know, payment providers, like, you know, modern online payment providers, you know, companies like Visa and others. And they are basically, you know, using us, many of these payment providers are using us to essentially prove to their PCI, right? And, and they use us to answer questions of their auditors when they come in and, um, you know, talk to them about, you know, pulling up specific months of data to, to right. you know, verify that, you know, the personal uh, account systems have not been, you know, hacked into. So it's, it's to help the companies maintain compliance or, yeah. or, and, and if that helps in getting the compliance or helps the auditors, that's great. But the main purpose is for your uh, customers to do the things they need to do to maintain the compliance that they desire. Correct. And then, you know, you have to, you know, you, it never goes just like that, right? Because, you know, we have a whole cloud SIM tool. Well, what's the SIM all about? Well, it's about becoming more secure. What's compliance about? It's, you know, what's PCI? PCI is just a set of specific rules on what you need to do to be secure in order to, that the industry allows you to process you know, credit card payments, right? So, you know, our technology helps customers become more secure, detect threats, defend against threats, investigate threats, 
and then prove to the auditors that they comply with specific regulations that are required. What does it take to operate a modern organization running a modern digital application? Read more in my O'Reilly Media book, Architecting for Scale, now in its second edition. Go to leeatchison.com slash books or click the link in the show notes for more information. So Sumo Logic is listed in, in the, you know, the Gardner Magic Quadrant for, I believe it's the one for security information and event management. Yep. You're listed as a visionary. Yep. And so obviously this is a big deal. I, you know, the Gardner Magic Quadrant is a big yep. deal to a lot of companies, but as, especially when their uh, customers are enterprise customers. Mm-hmm. But what specifically does that mean for you and your customers? So we're one of the few, very, very few, uh, uh, that are listed in both the APM and Observability Magic Quadrant, as well as SIM, SIEM Magic Quadrant, which is, you know, sort of the, the attestation to what you were saying earlier, that we, we you know, we, we participate in both of these domains. Um, what it means for our customers to be visionary um, is that, you know, we know how to handle their security use cases across the spectrum of security from security analytics cloud security analytics essentially managing and monitoring their cloud security to compliance and auditing all the way to sim and soar right we have a soar product as well which is a security orchestration automation response product which you know in that sort of full spectrum i would call it a full stack security overall what the the participation and recognition of the Gartner magic quadrant there means is that we check the right boxes and the visionary means that we're actually innovating, right? We're innovating with, te- with technologies and techniques, like for example, we have a global intelligence service that we built, which is essentially uh, leveraging our multi-tenancy and our visibility into you know, thousands of different customers' infrastructures and, and threats that are being experienced, say on AWS, right? We have this, we, we have this sort of crowdsourced engine that is able to detect the threats on AWS and then allow customers who are say on AWS to compare themselves against the global threat profile and say, okay, why do I have more of these types of threats than what is seen on average in let's say whatever you know subset of communities you see, like let's say on AWS, right? It allows you to sort of not be in a silo to learn from the community of experts and to actually improve proactively, right? So that's one of the reasons, for example, that we are visionaries in that quadrant. So I want to switch gears a little bit here. So, you know, one of the things that's been coming up in the cloud conversations more and more in recent years, and by recent years, I think specifically I'm talking about the last year or two, mm-hmm. is cost. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're e- even starting to see, you know, people writing about uh, the backlash about how the cloud is ex- is more expensive. And, you know, in pundits like, like David Linthcombe, who's, mm-hmm. you know, an enterprise cloud expert, has been very, very, very um, focused in some of his writing on cloud is just too expensive. And it's kind of surprising to hear a lot of those sorts of comments. And then 37 signals. And when I think about this and when I look at it, when I analyze what I'm reading in those areas, usually what I find, the issue isn't that people find the cloud 
to be too expensive. That's what they think the problem is. But usually what it is, is they find that, what's usually the problem, I should say, is that the cloud is too easy to spend money in. And the the agility of the cloud is part of what makes it more expensive to use. Um, there's, of course, you know, that's a very simplistic view. It's a lot more detailed than that. But, but cost management in the cloud is something that, you know, its day is here, right? We need to find ways and techniques to better manage uh, cost and cost containment in cloud infrastructures in order for the cloud to maintain its ability to provide a cost-effective solution to an on-premise data yep. center. Now, Sumo Logic is, uh, is in the cost management space. So what, what do you do specifically for your customers for co cloud cost optimization? And where do you see the future of the cloud from the standpoint of cost optimization? Uh, that's a great question. Um, just before I go there, I'll just confirm or agree with you a little bit about this sort of whole cost of the cloud. My perspective on the cloud has always been, it's not about cost. It's about focus on, you know, why should a, you know, a real estate company learn how to run and rack and stack servers? That just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, and I would, I would, I would venture to say, when you do the fully loaded cost with all of the um, sort of spend and, and time spend and talent spend and physical infrastructure, all this stuff, I would, I would still argue that I'm not sure that, that it would be end up being more expensive, but let's just, Let's let the people who, who again choir here. I completely agree with yeah. you. I'd, so, and, and that's something I could and have talked for long periods of time. Right. right. So, uh, I, exactly. So, on as well. so, so we're, we're, we're on the same page there, but I would say that, you know, it's important. And I do agree with you that it's very easy to spend money on, on cloud. And then if you're not diligent and you don't clean up after yourself, you can see what can happen, right? There can be a lot of lingering infrastructure that's just sitting there and wasting money, but what do we do for our customers? We have, we have, um, we do a few things. Um, we actually just announced recently a, an application that is essentially looks at um, sort of the, the the data. Let's talk about AWS again. Uh, that we are collecting on behalf of a customer in AWS. We're looking at you know how much what how much of what infrastructure they're 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 consuming. What type of infrastructure they're consuming. Um, where are there opportunities to reduce that cost? What is what this would look like, you know, if it was, you know, reserved spend versus non-reserved spend? All of these things we do. So it's basically breaking down what we see flowing from through their data from their applications. We break it down into components that are sort of meaningful costs on uh, these cloud providers, particularly AWS, and then we essentially just illuminate it. Sometimes, you know, when you look at the AWS bill or bill from other cloud providers, it's 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 not that easy to digest, and I'm not gonna say that it's by design like that, but it is not that easy to digest. Like we we've, we've looked at our own uh, uh, costs, and that's why there's a cottage industry of of companies that is only focused on on managing cloud costs, right? And you know uh, you've seen that. The other thing that we do that I think is more even more unique than um, uh, than this application is again um, this global intelligence work that we've done. So I talked about it in, in aspects of security where you can look at, hey, what, do the what does the threat profile look like and what do I look like? We're doing this also for 
observability and cost. What does that mean? So it means that we, when we, when we use an example of Kubernetes, we are managing tens of thousands of Kubernetes clusters, we would take, you know, on behalf of our customers and nodes and what have you. And we are benchmarking those, or those clusters to understand what the provisioning looks like on average. What amount of memory are they consuming? CPU are they consuming? What throughput are they getting? We're doing the same thing. We're looking at things like that are seen flowing through CloudTrail to look at like instance consumption and databases and latency and inserts and all that stuff. And we're then benchmarking that and providing that back to customers. And we have an application for Kubernetes that basically says, hey, we've looked at all of your Kubernetes clusters and we think that 70% of them are, are misprovisioned. You know, 30% are um, overspending, they're overprovisioned and, you know, Another 40 are under-provisioned where you're incurring risk, right? We actually had uh, a customer of ours, Alaska Airlines, did a whole presentation at our conference on this very topic, is they were able to like just turn this on and all of a sudden, based on the benchmarking of the, all of the Kubernetes clusters that we see, they immediately understood where their gaps were in terms of spend, and they were able to remedy those. So you essentially treat cost just like uh, any other observability var variable. Correct. That's a great strategy. And again, something you can do with a platform that you can't yep. do with separate tools. So that's cool. That's great. Hey, are you going to be at reInvent this year? Absolutely. I've never missed one and we are, oh. we've never missed one and I will be on this one as well. I'm a little envious. I've missed the last two. Uh, yeah. you know, I missed the, the one in the heart of the pandemic in last yep. year I was planning on going and then decided it, Probably just wasn't quite time yet, so I decided not to, right. and and really regret not going. But I am going to be there this year. So excellent, let's excellent. Definitely touch bases. And yeah. anyway, well, thank you. This, this has been great. I want to thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And anytime you're interested, let me know. My guest today has been Bruno Kurdick, the founding chief strategy officer for Sumo Logic. Bruno, thank you for being on Modern Digital Business. Thanks for listening to the Modern Digital Business Podcast hosted by Lee Acheson. Know a fellow technology leader and innovator struggling to make their business transition to a digital one? Encourage them to head to mdb.fm forward slash listen to subscribe to this podcast. Or visit leeacheson.com to learn more about Lee and his team. architect or perhaps you are looking to learn how to drive your organization towards better utilization of the cloud i have a whole series of cloud and architecture courses available on linkedin learning for more information on the courses i have available please go to leeatchison.com courses or click the link in the show notes